Welcome to the Family Tree Magazine Podcast, the show from America's number one genealogy magazine. I'm your host, Lisa Louise Cook. In this June 2012 episode of the podcast, we're focusing on social history. And I've got some great tips, tools, products, and websites for you to help you learn more about your ancestors' lives. First, we'll get some news from the blogosphere from the genealogy insider blogger, Diane Haddad, and she's going to tell us what's new in the world of genealogy. Then in our top tips segment, we're going to dig into the foods that our ancestors ate with Gina Philibert Ortega. She's the author of the new book, From the Family Kitchen, Discover Your Food Heritage and Preserve Favorite Recipes. And then in our 101 Best Websites for Tracing Your Roots segment, we'll take a look at memory project websites as a source for historical photos, texts, and other artifacts with author David Frixell. Then in our Family Tree University Crash Course segment, author and instructor James Beidler is going to stop by to give us some tips on how we can gain insight into the events and attitudes of our ancestors' era through newspapers from his Newspaper Research 101 Family Tree University course. And finally, we'll check in at the publisher's desk with Allison Dolan, publisher of Family Tree Magazine, who's going to have some great resources for us, as always. So there's a lot to cover. Let's get to it. Our first stop is the genealogy news with Diane Haddad. We're going to kick off this episode with news from the blogosphere. And here to give us the scoop is the genealogy insider blogger, Diane Haddad. Hi, Diane. Hi, Lisa. Diane, in this episode, um, we're going to focus on social history. And I know that you've published several articles over the years on the Genealogy Insider blog on that topic. So I thought it'd be a great time to walk our listeners through how they can track down those past articles. How do we do that? Sure. Well, one really easy way on the Genealogy Insider blog is to go to the categories listing that's on the left in that um, light brown area of the blog. And they're alphabetical, and there's one category called social history. And if they click on that, then the articles that I've tagged as being as having to do with social history will come up. Ah, perfect. So as you're blogging, each article has obviously various topics. You're tagging these, so they're kind of collected under these topics that we find in in the left-hand column. And so when we click on that, like I went through there and I noticed um, you had a great article not too long ago. It was called House History Research Tips from the Virtual Conference. Now, this was back in March of 2012, but this brings up a great point in that sometimes when you're blogging isn't when we're thinking about that topic. (laughs) And it can sometimes look like a blog is only either relevant or irrelevant at that moment, but that's just not the case, is it? Right. You kind of have to dig sometimes to get two topics that are, um, you know, maybe that haven't been covered in the past week or past month. Some blogs do tend to be, you know, more about current news that's, you know, where the interest is going to go away relatively soon. And we do cover that kind of news. But then we also cover research tips and and topics that, that are going to be valuable even, you know, a year or two years after the post. Right. So if you were looking to finally investigate the uh, history of your grandmother's house, then uh, you go to the social history tab and, and uh, find an article like this. Is there a way to search the blog just for keywords? Yes, you can. Um, about halfway down that same brown um, left sidebar, 
there's a white box that says search um, above it, and then there's a little red search button to the right of it. It's not at the very top. There's a, a box where you can enter your email to be notified of new posts. So don't use that one. I've even made that mistake <laughs> I've done that too. <laughs> um, so yeah, scroll down a little bit to the search box. And I actually tried it um, very recently to, to see how it works. And you would want to put quotation marks around um, a phrase because if you put two or three words in your search, then it'll look for posts with any one of those words. Oh, so you're going to get a much broader results list versus if you put them in quotation marks, you're going to get that exact phrase and and not anything else. Yes, yes. Yeah, good tip. Okay, so see, everybody listening, uh, you know, the blog is certainly an interesting read on a daily basis, but it's a wonderful resource in terms of all the archived information that Diane has been putting out there and that really is much more easy to get to than you might think. The web address for Diane's blog, The Genealogy Insider, is blog.familytreemagazine.com slash insider. Uh, always nice to talk to you. We'll talk to you next month, Diane. Sounds great. From great-grandma's apple pie to mom's secret recipe stuffing, food is an important ingredient in every family's history. And in today's top tip segment, Gina Philibert Ortega, author of the new book, From the Family Kitchen, Discover Your Food Heritage, and Preserve Favorite Recipes, is here to tell us more about it. Welcome to the show, Gina. Thanks, Lisa, for having me. I'm really excited to talk to you about this. Oh, well, I love talking about food. I know you do. <laughs> Almost as much as eating is. So let's talk about it. You know, we're, we're, we're all really happy to hear that food is an important part of our family history. Um, all right. Tell us, what can an old recipe that maybe we got from grandma or great grandma, what can that tell us about our heritage? Well, you know, it can tell you quite a bit um, down to ethnic origins of the food it can tell you something about what your ancestors actually ate, which I find really exciting. You know, even in the last few generations, if I look at my family, our diet today is much different than the diet my mother had or even her mother had. And so it gives you a little slice of social history about your ancestors' actual life. And one of the things I've been telling people is that, you know, names and dates, that's great. But what really interests people is the stories behind their ancestors. And part of those stories can be food stories. And that makes a lot of sense because, of course, as a family, the the time we talk the most, it seems like, is sitting around the dinner table, right? Oh, I agree. And you know what? That that is what brings families together is mealtime. And for some people... These uh, ancestral recipes are something that they're used to, and for other people, they may not have grown up with. And so one of the goals of the book, I hope, is to help people who may not know a lot about their food history to learn how to find out about it, and then also to record their own food history, their present-day history, so that their descendants will know about them. Which, of course, is really critical. We can't just go one way. We have to also provide for the future. Now, okay, so we're looking at these recipes. Uh, I know I inherited some from my grandmother. And you see a lot of data there. 
we think about some of the genealogical records we look at, oh, we only wish there was as much data as there is in a recipe. What does the food tell us? What does the um, sometimes we see that they don't even tell us the amount of whatever the item is, or they have a term that we don't recognize. Tell us how that um, kind of gives us an insight into the history. Well, it's important to know what the history of food is. And, uh, you know, you mentioned about recipes looking much different now than they did, let's say, in the 19th century. And the reason for this is that it was assumed that whoever was inheriting that recipe that they would know, you know, what temperature to cook the food at, what the measurements would be, and so that's why there isn't a lot of detail. Standardized recipe writing didn't come until the late 19th century, early 20th century or so. And, you know, that tells us that these were recipes. I can tell you that the earliest recipes, they were handed down from mother to daughter. Uh, Family members would trade recipes. And so some of this was skills that people assumed you would know. And that's why you wouldn't put in the mundane details about cooking at 375. Plus, technology has changed quite a bit from the time we cook now versus the time even our grandmothers cooked. Oh, that's really true. Yeah. So you've got technology, you've got the food, you've got access to food is quite different now than it would have been 50 to 100 years ago, if you even just think of World War II when there was food rationing, what they had available to them is quite different than it is now. And that's important to know. It, you know, I've had family members tell me that they didn't want to eat ground beef now because during World War II, uh, ground beef was often um, another meat product. It was actually horse meat. And so, um, you know, those kinds of things stick with them, and it influences what they cook and uh, what they think of certain food products even years later. And so that history can give us rich detail about their lives. And I imagine it could even shed light on um, where the country of origin was of that family. I know my mother used to cook sauerkraut all the time. I didn't know any kids who had to go home and eat sauerkraut at night. And of course, now that I've done more family research, I realize, oh, there's a rich German heritage there. That's right. That's right. And that does give us, you know, it not only gives us ethnic origins, it might also give us religious origins. And so when you when you look at these recipes, it just tells you so much. And it's a great starting off point, not only for research, but also for writing your family history narratives. Well, as a genealogist, what do, where do you suggest that we start? Um, we, we may have received some things from family. We've got some of our own. Do you have a, a recommendation as far as um, where we should put our energies first and maybe how to stay organized in all of this? Yes, I do. You know, obviously with any project, you want to start with home sources. And what I like to tell people is that isn't necessarily sources in your home. It might be in another family member's home. And there's ways to, you know, email people and to contact people and and get that information. But then second, what I try to um, get people to think about are community cookbooks. And I write about this in the book. Community cookbooks are sometimes called fundraising cookbooks or church cookbooks. And they've been around since the time of the Civil War. And they were books that women... Uh, used to raise funds for causes they cared about. 
And these books often have recipes and names of women, sometimes photographs and sometimes rich histories. They also have advertisements that help you recreate the community that she lived in. And so one of the things I encourage people to do is to either look for these cookbooks in the home of a relative or at a local library or archive. Um, and in the book, I explain more about how to find them. But these can give you some ideas about um, food history and your own family history. If you find a community cookbook that one of your female relatives uh, contribute a recipe to. Right. Those are, are absolutely wonderful. And like you say, they, they vary because these were just um, little collaborations right there in the town. So there, there's uh, not a particular type of, of book that you're going to find. Each one seems to have its own little unique flavor. Yeah. You know, people assume, because now they tend to be these books that have the coil, the plastic coil binding and, um, you know, we have kind of a, an, a stereotype of what they are. But I'll tell you, I have found some that have photographs in them. I found some that have street addresses in them of the women who contributed. Um, one I found was a church cookbook, and in it was a history of the cemetery, the church cemetery, and a listing of all the burials in that cemetery. That was in the cookbook. Wow. <laughs> So these are much more than, you know, just little quaint books with recipes in them. They, they are wonderful sources. Many of them have advertisements where you could actually recreate the whole community from those advertisements. Yeah, yeah. It tells us who the, the businesses were down Main Street. Oh, exactly. And it tells you who the undertaker was, um, who the doctor was. And that leads you to other records. Because if you know who the undertaker was, then that gives you an idea who buried your ancestor or the physician. And then from there, you can take that information and look through local history sources to find even more details. So they're just a rich source that people don't consider enough. Yeah, well, absolutely. And, and you know, with our theme in this episode being the social history of our ancestors, I think that your book really falls right in there. And it's, it's a lovely book. It's, it's such a fun read. And you've really um, broken it down to go in depth in areas maybe we haven't thought about so much before. What prompted you to write a book about our history in the kitchen? Well, you know, this is a topic that has interested me for a while. I'm very much into social history. I have a blog uh, called Food Family Ephemera that is all about community cookbooks and food and thinking about that in conjunction with genealogy. And so I had been writing about that and studying that for a while and um, I was given the opportunity by F&W Media, the people behind Family Tree Magazine. And they said, hey, would you be interested in this? And I said, of course, because not only is social history something I'm interested in, but also helping people uncover information about their female ancestors. Right, exactly. And so often it's the female ancestors who just didn't get recorded qu quite as much, but uh, you've just opened up some new resources where we might be able to find more information about them. Oh, it's so much fun to talk to you. You know, you and I see each other so often throughout the year at the various genealogy conferences, but I'm so thrilled for you that this book uh, has come out now because it's just glorious. It's called From the Family Kitchen, Discover Your Food, Heritage, and Preserve Favorite Recipes. It's by Gina Philibert Ortega. And Gina, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Oh, thanks, Lisa, for having me. I really appreciate it.
Well, when it comes to social history and putting your ancestors in historical context, old photos, postcards, newspapers, and other artifacts, of course, are a gold mine. But where do you find these little gems? In this 101 Best Websites for Tracing Your Roots segment, David Frixell is back to tell us about some of the terrific websites that can help us out. Welcome back, David. Thanks for having me. Okay, well, we are on the hunt for digital items that are going to shed light on the lives of our ancestors. So where should we be looking? Well, interestingly, a lot of these sites uh, seem to be state-related, either state archives, um, state history commissions, or, or something of that uh, sort that tend to host them. And they, besides having records for genealogy, which is sort of what draws them to our attention in the first place, often they're not just focused on genealogy. So they go beyond and deal with things like old photos or uh, other historic things, even old postcards, uh, which any music, all that sort of stuff, um, which you can uh, you know, really use to enliven your uh, family story. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, a lot of these projects, I, I think of them as we call them like um, memory project websites or that kind of thing, where they're trying to grab that historical memory of of a time or a place a lot of this data and and ephemera if you will is free right you can download it oh absolutely well the for example the arkansas history commission has a it's really a gorgeous website and it has sections on it about black history about folk life in arkansas as well as things like county records but uh if you click on folk life in uh, arkansas for example you get all these choices about uh, you know, their folk collections, even folk performances. So, you know, old musicians and that sort of thing. Uh, again, it's just a gorgeous website, and you can, if you have Arkansas Ancestors, you can really just delve into it uh, and uh, find these things that, that bring it to life. Yeah. Well, and of course, gosh, music, that's the thing that really evokes memories, isn't it? I mean, when you think about the lyrics they were singing, oftentimes, of course, they're singing about what's going on at that time frame. Another site that has... Um, Music, as well as other things that uh, we've often had in the 101 Best, is the Florida Memory site. Mm-hmm. Uh, it has sound recordings. Um, it also has videos, um, which is pretty cool, as well as photos. A lot of them have things like online exhibits um, as well. So if you have Florida ancestors, you can go there. And, again, they have some things like Civil War records and you know, genealogical stuff, but they've also got uh, that sort of thing. And even uh, some of the things that are kind of on the borderline, they have church records collected by the WPA. So they're, those are kind of genealogical, but they're also going to tell you something about life you know, at, that, uh, at that time. Oh, nice. Now, that's the Florida Memory Project. That's Memory Project, right. FloridaMemory.com. And you, you mentioned photographs, but you kind of glossed over that. We're talking 170,000 digitized photos, right? It's exactly. It's really amazing how many. I mean, uh, you know, I consider it a major undertaking to just digitize a couple of pictures. Yeah. <laughs> you know. But uh, it, we're often talking huge numbers um, of photos. Uh, may, maybe the prize goes to, and I don't know why so many of these tend to be Southern. Maybe they have more time on their hands. <laughs> uh, but Kentucky Historical Society, it's just history.ky.gov, has more than 550,000 digital images oh. under the Kentuckiana Digital Library. Um, and these include photos, historical newspapers, which are a great way to get a sense of the times, um, maps, and I particularly love that they have historic issues of the Daily Racing Forum. 
So we'll talk about, uh, you know, getting back. If your ancestor liked to go to the track, that's a good way to uh, get a feel for it. Yeah, and the, and the maps you mentioned, I know that they include the Sanborn maps, which are those fire insurance maps, and those are really neat because they capture just house by house who was there, what it looked like, how it was laid out, right? Exactly. It, again, you can really sort of step back into the past that way. Uh, another uh, southern, for some reason, site <laughs> is the Digital Library of Georgia, which a lot of these are combinations from multiple institutions. So the Digital Library of Georgia it sort of taps, um, it, well, it's a million files of various sorts, but it's from institutions across um, Georgia. It includes the, the New Georgia Encyclopedia, where you can look up uh, things about your ancestors, um, as well as, you know, again, folk life, um, things on religion, even science and medicine, sports and recreation, um, ways that you can... Uh, find answers, and as well as these sort of artifacts about your, your ancestry. Now, give us the website, because I know that that website is terrific. What's the address? It's dig.galileo.usg.edu. Wonderful. And we'll have, of course, all these links for you guys in the show notes so that you can click through. You know, it is interesting. You mentioned a lot of these do seem to be from the South, and it makes you wonder, um, sometimes we look at like in the South, they go through the Civil War, they have courthouses that burned. There's so many challenges for the genealogists. And yet sometimes I think those are the communities that work the hardest to get this extra social history pulled together. They're really devoted to maintaining the memories, right? Exactly. Well, another example, because I have Alabama ancestors, I like the uh, Encyclopedia of Alabama, which is just encyclopediaofalabama.org. And it, there it's not so much the collection of things as it is it's really a place where you can search um, all things Alabama. So, for example, I went there to learn uh, more about the uh, Tallapoosa area because I had ancestors who ran the ferry, apparently, huh. across the Tallapoosa River. So, I, you know, you may not I, I know anything about there, even exactly where it is, but you can just plug in Tallapoosa and, uh, you know, up it comes, and you get a, a sense not only of, it's not just so much the genealogical records, but uh, it can help you understand, you know, wh- why might they have been there, what were they doing there, um, you know, how did they spend, uh, you know, their, their lives there. Yeah. Now, I know several of these websites have landed onto the 101 best websites list. Um, let's see here. The last one, wh- wh- when is the next one coming out? I know you're the editor on this, right? Well, it's already in the can. Ah. Uh, you know, we can't reveal who's going to be in there, <laughs> um, but it comes out, I believe, in the, uh, in the August issue. So it'll be any, any day now. So we have a whole new slew of amazing, wonderful websites coming out our way uh, here at the end of the summer. Even if you don't have ancestors in any of these states, the southern ones, one of the perennials there, of course, is the uh, Library of Congress, which has the American Memory Collection. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of these same kind of things, uh, of course, can be found uh, from all over the country at the uh, the Library of Congress site there, um, even if you don't happen to have one of those uh, southern ancestors that we keep talking about here. Yeah. Oh, I know a lot of people who've listened to my Genealogy Gems show know I've told the story of inheriting an old reel-to-reel audio tape and hearing the music, playing the songs on the show, a listener identified the name of the song. These were back from the turn of the century. So I went to Library of Congress, American Memory Project, typed in the name, 
and instantly I had a download of the original Art Deco decorated sheet music, which I could then play the song myself. I just thought that was so neat. And it was a wonderful kind of enrichment to the story of the grandfather that played that music back in the day. That's terrific. Another similar site, of course, the National Archives, again, we go to mostly for genealogical sort of things. Um, but in their uh, archival collections, they do have a bunch of digitized photos. And if you try searching, it's amazing what you can find. Again, they're not all just historic photos of, you know, presidents and so forth. If, you know, you, you can search for, you know, 1920s baseball or something like that. And the odds are surprisingly good that you'll find something um, that shows sort of life way back when. Interesting, because I don't always think about the National Archives as a place for photographs, but that is a great reminder. Well, we knew we got to the right person. David, thank you so much for giving us all of these websites to pull from. And, And again, we'll have a list of all of these in the show notes for you. Thanks, David. No problem. Thanks. In today's Family Tree University Crash Course segment, I've invited Jim Beidler, instructor of the Newspaper Research 101 course, to give us some ideas on how to gain insight into the events and the attitudes of your ancestors through newspapers. Welcome back to the show, Jim. Yes, thanks, Lisa. It's always good to be here. Well, Jim, this is a topic near and dear to my heart, since, of course, I just published my book, How to Find Your Family History in Newspapers, and One of the things I love best about newspapers is, of course, the context that they give us about our ancestors' lives. But we all know that newspapers aren't that easy to track down. So give us your best elevator pitch as to why we should invest the time and effort in researching in newspapers. Well, I guess uh, part of my my elevator pitch is how much this is changing as far as newspapers and accessibility. Because uh, I, I really consider newspapers the hot record group uh, of, of the 21st century in genealogy. Okay. Uh, and that's, that's because uh, there is uh, quite a bit of increasing digitization. Uh, that is, many, you know, many whole titles uh, you know, being put on the Internet, either as part of a paid subscription or as part of various free sites. Uh, and then there's also a, a, a site that I'll, I'll want to tell your folks about uh, called Chronicling America that uh, in addition to having kind of a smorgasbord smattering of newspapers also is like kind of a master bibliography for them. Yeah, absolutely. And I totally agree with you that they really are the hot you know, record group because there's so much potential and there's so much that has yet to be brought online. Tell us more about Chronicling America because they really have been on the forefront of bringing these digitized newspapers and not just the digitized, but of course the whole, the card catalog of them trying to assemble and list all the ones that are out there. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Um, It's interesting. I've been, well, a little bit, a little bit of my background. I, my first career was in newspapers. I was a newspaper copy editor at a, right. uh, in Alabama and here in Pennsylvania where I live uh, for about 20 years. Wrote a lot of headlines in that time, let me tell you. <laughs> uh, and so, of course, I've, I've, been on, I've been on that side of the desk. And, and in part because of that, I've continued, uh, even before I, they, they became what I consider the hot record group, I've, uh, I, I kind of followed newspapers, and I, I have sat and continue. Uh, to sit on Pennsylvania's uh, newspaper advisory board for uh, 
starting about eight years ago, it was for microfilming, and then very quickly uh, changed to uh, to digitization. Uh, and and uh, this Pennsylvania board is the one that selects titles uh, for the state of Pennsylvania to be put on the Chronicling America site. Now I'll get to answering your question, Lisa, <laughs> about Chronicling America. Uh, yeah, it's it's uh, it's a site. It's a um, uh, co-production of uh, the Library of Congress and the National Endowment for the Humanities. Uh, and on their their Chronicling America site, uh, they they have a, a history a history section that gives bibliography for what is considered to be at least every newspaper ever published in America. Uh, and and this is great because because one of the things one of the things I find that genealogists don't necessarily know about, especially especially if they if they they haven't done intense homework about the area that they're researching, is how many newspapers there used to be. We're used now to uh, you know you know cities and metropolitan areas now being down in most cases to one newspaper. Some of these newspapers, like New Orleans, uh, last week just announced it's going to go down to two day a week print publication. Oh, wow. uh, so yeah, so we're we're kind of used to uh, a shrinking number of newspapers and and not not a lot of competing voices of newspapers out there. You go back to the uh, earlier in the 20th century and definitely for most of the 19th century, you even even small town county seats had at least a newspaper and sometimes two or three. Uh, and this, you know, this affects you in several ways. Uh, one one is just that you, you have more shots at finding information about your ancestors. Exactly. Uh, yeah, because because while it's rare uh, that that maybe all of those uh, have even survived intact uh, for all their issues, uh, you know, say there were three newspapers for a county seat in the in the mid eighteen hundreds. That's that's three three possibilities to to start out with. Uh, that may be digitized. If they're not digitized, they probably have uh, been microfilmed because, like I said, prior to digitization, microfilming was the preservation uh, medium of uh, choice. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and so they, they have uh, microfilms of a lot of newspapers have been put uh, in the state libraries of each of the states as well as a lot in county historical societies. Uh, and uh, Chronicling America, it allows you to track down where copies of each of these uh, newspapers exist. Yeah, exactly. It's it's like a huge card catalog. And, and I love it because, like you say, it tells you... And sometimes, don't you find that it's it can be very surprising about where a newspaper is archived today? It could be quite a distance from the original location. Oh, absolutely, because uh, because of, you know newspapers, of course, then and now are, are privately owned, and you know a lot of times the the only full runs of the issues since they're since since many people they end up wrapping fish or or at the bottom <laughs> bird cages. Uh, the publishers might be the only people with a complete run. Those publishers. Uh, you know, after they sell a newspaper, they might move away from the area and might will their papers to, uh, say, a college library that could be a state away from where they originally lived. Uh, and so, yes, they can end up in some different places, and Chronicling America can show you where you're at. 
Exactly. Oh, see, now you have, I think, inspired many of us then to to take the plunge and get into them. Tell us, what is one of the the really cool gems that you have found uh, in your own research in newspapers, something that will kind of dazzle us about what we could look forward to finding? Well, I'll tell you the 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 story the story that I I tell in my my lectures about newspapers and and if I and if I ever write write a book about newspapers just like you have, Lisa, <laughs> which is an excellent one by the way, one that I'll use is one of my uh, great great grandfathers named uh, Wellington Mockmer. <laughs> oh wow! Good, good good Pennsylvania German name. Uh, he it was born in uh, eighteen forty nine. Uh, and he, even though even though he was my mother's great grandfather, he he helped raise her. He lived mm. into his nineties, and so so she had heard a lot of the stories of her life as a as a young person. Uh, and one of them one of them was recounting the different places that he lived. Even though even though he was born and died uh, less than a mile from either of those spots and probably lived no more than a radius of about 10 miles over his 90-some year old life. Mm-hmm. Uh, he you know he was he was kind of a typical a lot a lot of times a rental farmer in his youth before he finally bought property. So mm-hmm. anyway, one of these places that uh, that my mother had uh, had been told by him that he lived at was a place called Becker's Springhouse. Uh, and was in, we didn't really know where this was somewhere in our greater community. Well, one time looking up an obituary for a completely different ancestor, I had one of those things found on the way to something else experiences. <laughs> and, and what I found was, uh, was in typical fashion, one of the, the Reading, Pennsylvania newspapers in its, in its uh, kind of uh, all, all around the county section says, uh, Mr. M- Mr. Wellington Mothmer has late- lately taken up at Mr. Becker's place. Hmm. And and so so this whereas my my mother didn't know exactly when they had been there or exactly where where it was well this clarified the when for me because this this showed that that in March of 1886 that's when he had moved to the so-called Becker Becker Springhouse area. And see that is just a great example of how it then opens the doors to so many other potential records, land records and that type of thing, because now you've got a date. Now you've got something to, to shoot for. Very cool. Yeah, and you had mentioned earlier about, you know, putting people in contest, context and your ancestors in context and so forth. I, I find what, what I call the, the thick slice of life <laughs> that <laughs> newspapers provide. Uh, you know, just things like, I'm a I'm a big seafood eater. I love steamed clams, and of course, first today they they cost a, a pretty penny. But I, I look back in the I have a clipping from a 1930s newspaper. Again, it actually was the the 63rd wedding anniversary of that same Wellington Mothmer and his wife. And in in the newspaper, there's an advertisement for a hundred steamed clams for ten cents. <laughs> you know, boy, you know, boy, boy, does that tell you how. How, how times have changed. Oh, they certainly are. And, and gosh, newspapers are the window to that change. Very, very cool. Well, James, thank you so much for joining us here on the show, inspiring us to, to get back in there and dig into those newspapers. They're worth the time and the effort. And, of course, if you'd like to learn more about 
how to find newspapers and how to find your ancestors in them, uh, check out Jim Bidler's class. It's Newspaper Research 101. It's at Family Tree University. I'll have a link for you in the show notes to get you directly to the class. Well worth the time and effort. It's going to pay off. Jim, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you very much, Lisa. Always a pleasure. Well, as we wrap up this June 2012 episode of the Family Tree Magazine podcast, let's check in at the publisher's desk with Allison Dolan. Hi, Allison. Hi, Lisa. Well, Allison, we've been talking about social history and getting our ancestors in context. And uh, I know that's a topic the readers may not remember, but you cover this nearly in every issue. Tell us about that. Absolutely. Our History Matters section of Family Tree Magazine is totally devoted to social history, and it's actually one of my favorite sections of the magazine. I love it. I read it. It's probably one of the first ones I read. It's a quick and easy read, but it's fascinating. Well, the whole point of it is um, we give it a tagline, innovations and trends that shaped your ancestors' lives. And what the goal of it really is, is to shed some light on some of the modern conveniences and things about daily life today that we sort of take for granted and to tell people about how those things evolved over time and how they were invented and give you some insight into what life was like for your ancestors before those things existed (laughs) because they really had an impact on the way people went about their daily business. Yeah, exactly. Well, I think about, um, we look at photographs where they didn't bother to write the names and the information on the back, and you think, well, they were so busy hand-washing clothes or doing other things. Uh, It's just amazing how time-consuming just everyday work was. Absolutely. One of um, the topic in our current issue actually is lawnmowers. And at this time of year in the summer, when we're all neatly manicuring our lawns, it's interesting to think of, well, before there were gas-powered lawnmowers or electric lawnmowers, what did people do? <laughs> and, mm-hmm. um, you know, how did we become so obsessed with having these neatly manicured lawns? And so the current issue kind of delves into that. But we've covered all kinds of interesting topics in past issues. One of the things that always stands out to me is hygiene and how that has changed over history. One of our issues talked about the history of deodorant and how that <laughs> um, is an important part of our lives today. I think no one would argue with that. Um, but really how that became a product that was um, utilized so much by society, not because people felt self-conscious, but because of advertising. That was what really drove people to feel like they needed to have odor All control right. in the first place. It wasn't because... Um, they were worried about how they smelled until advertisements started telling them they should. <laughs> yeah, they need to start stressing out about that. Exactly. Exactly. Um, yeah, some other topics that we've covered are adhesives, how things stick together, um, photocopying, how did mm-hmm. we uh, distribute information on paper before there were photocopiers? That was pretty interesting. We've done voting and elevators and Um, In our next issue, we're going to talk about weddings and how they've become the extravagant affairs that they are today. That was not necessarily the case for our ancestors. Yeah, and it wasn't that long ago that some of these things changed. Of course, we think about even things like the telephone. My goodness, that looks so different than it did just 30 years ago. So crazy. And this is a column. Of course, it's called History Matters. And it's written by David Frixell, who was, of course, on the episode today. And he's got kind of a, a coordinating venture coming up here soon, doesn't he? Yeah. For those of you who are fans of this uh, column, you're really going to look forward to a new book that Dave is 
um, going to be releasing. It's coming out in October, and it's highlighting tons of those funny and often horrifying facts about life in the past. It will be called Good Old Days, My A, which will censor the title there for <laughs> the fact that this is a family-friendly show. But um, yes, it's just going to be packed with little tidbits of all of these interesting historical fun facts. Um, it, it's going to be interesting and funny at the same time. Oh, well, if it's coming from David Frixell, you know you're going to be... Uh ripping yourself a bit. It's going to be hysterical. And he's got so many amazing kind of off the wall facts he comes up with. I don't know where he gets them all, but that's going to be really fun. So be sure and take a look for the History Matters column uh, in the every issue of the magazine. And of course, as uh, the new book comes out, we'll have to have David on to talk about that too. Great resources. Thank you, Allison. Thanks, Lisa. Thanks so much for joining me for this June 2012 episode of the Family Tree Magazine podcast, the monthly show from America's number one genealogy magazine. Here are a couple of action items for you until we meet here again next month. First, be sure and visit the Genealogy Insider blog for all the latest genealogy news on a daily basis. You'll find that at blog.familytreemagazine.com slash insider. Next, head on over to familytreemagazine.com slash podcast, and there you will find the show notes for this episode, which will include information and website links for everything that we covered on today's episode, including the various memory project websites that David told us about. You can grab Gina's new book on the family kitchen and register for Jim's newspaper research 101 course at Family Tree University. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm Lisa Louise Cook, and I invite you to visit me at my website, genealogygems.com, where you can listen to my free podcasts, the Genealogy Gems podcast, and Family History, Genealogy Made Easy. Both of those shows are also available for free through iTunes. So until next time, have fun climbing your family tree. Family Tree.